Good morning. Um, how many people were here last week? And the bravery to come back again. Well done. How many people, actually, what I really wanted to ask this morning was, how many people were in prayer meeting yesterday? Well, I know there's some. Okay. Can we just all agree that if you were not in prayer meeting yesterday, you missed something really beautiful? Can you testify to that, those who were there? Such a powerful time, and I was so blessed by being there. Um, and it even really affirmed to me some of the things we're going to talk about today. And so that was really great. And I, I just encourage you to enter into that. Is it every week, Monica? Okay, once every two months for now. Okay, so when you have the opportunity to go to that, though, to pray for the church, just I hope you take advantage of it. It's excellent. So this morning, we are going to talk about idolatry. I know. <laughs> I love Jerry said that she's not afraid to ask hard questions. Why, yes, that is actually the truth. Um, we know that people all over the world practice various forms of idolatry. Even here in Uganda, people practice such things. Um, have any of you seen, it's like way over like Kololo, there's a Jain temple. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. I've actually been in that. It was one of the most disturbing experiences of my life. My spirit was like, was quite terrible. Um, and I know that today we were supposedly going to talk about marriage. We are. <laughs> we're going to get there. We're going to tie all these pieces together. What I hope will help you this morning is that we're not going to just talk about idolatry and marriage, but we're going to talk about the idea of authority that idolatry is rooted in. And the fact that we have idolatry in our relationships, which is against the authority of Jesus Christ. Before we get too much into that, though, I want to talk about some resources that I use. I really am just a teacher. Like, let's be clear, I'm not actually a preacher. I am by trade a teacher. It was my first training. It's who I am. And so I just teach things I've learned. That's really the real truth. Um, so most of the information that we're going to talk about today comes from the book Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel for the Kingdom. I highly recommend this book um, and Gospel Treason. And in case it matters to you, my verses today are from the ESV, just so that it's there. So let's actually begin with the bottom line. The Bible tells us that by his death and resurrection, Jesus redeemed creation from the fall, Israel as a nation, and all people for eternity who would trust in him. Okay? And we know that, right? If you're sitting here, you probably know that. We really tend, though, to only see this in our personal salvation lens. We talk about getting saved or in other cultures, like asking Jesus into their life. There's lots of verbiage for this in the world. But we really see it as this us thing. And we miss the greater scope of personal salvation that is really an outgrowth of the fact that Jesus has total authority on the earth. Now. Right now, Jesus has total authority on the earth. And here are some verses that tell us that. And we don't meditate on this enough. Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. 
And Jesus said to them, all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And those who call, those with him are called and chosen and faithful. See, we tend to look only at the Revelation text and think of him conquering at the end because we see the evil in the world. And please hear me today, the world is in trouble. It's a scary place. And no part of me is here to say that is not the truth. Okay? However, (laughs) the truth is also that Jesus has all authority now, not just when we reach the Revelation passages. We assume, I'm sorry, let's go to Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's go back for a second to that talking about the moment of personal salvation. We think of the bowing of the knee in our life at that moment. And that's not wrong. Hi. (laughs) But stop for a minute and consider what it means for someone to be the king. Because Jesus was on the earth and he was saying the kingdom is at hand. And he was saying it because... He's the king. If the king is there, the kingdom is present. And that Jesus has the total authority as the king now, regardless of how many knees are bowing. Okay, this is not just about our personal moment. It is about that, but it's not just about that. Okay? Um, I want to talk today a little bit about kings in real kingdoms. Kings in real kingdoms. In real total kingdoms, okay, not like tribal kings that are under the government in Uganda, not the kings in European governments who then like have a prime minister and a parliament, real total power monarchy. That's what we're going to talk about because that's what Jesus was talking about. In such a situation that we don't really understand because we live in 2023, there are no elections. Not like pretend elections, not real elections, not rigged elections, not authentic. There just aren't any. You just don't get any. It's not even a discussion. It's a monarchy. The king also demands absolute and total surrender. Like if you're in his kingdom, you're doing it his way, the end. And he can get rid of you. It also means severing ties to other kingdoms and old kingdoms. So like if I've moved into this other kingdom, I am not under that king anymore. I don't do what he says. I have to do what this one says. And everybody knows that. Now this is where we get into trouble. When you live in a real kingdom, it means that you are choosing by staying in that kingdom to trust yourself, your land, your possessions, and your safety to that king. And if you don't like it, you should leave. Lastly, subjects must be willing to die for the king. How do you feel about all that? Probably kingship is a lot more serious 
than our thinking of like, every knee will bow. This is a big deal. And we do not take it seriously enough. But Jesus is the king and completely in charge. Whether the knees bow now or later, it's done. It's finished. What I really loved about the book Insurgents, and I was then went back and looking at these scriptures, and this I really want to share. This was so powerful to me. The first century believers, like people we read about in Acts and all of that, they understood this in a way that we do not. And not because they lived under Caesar, because they had all of this false worship around them, okay? So they knew that Jesus is Lord meant king. And for them to say that, for some, you know we talk about the Bible says, if the tongue confesses, these people took confession in a seriousness that we do not understand. Because for a person to say that in New Testament times meant that this is what they were saying. And we're going to unpack this really quickly. To say Jesus is Lord was to say Caesar, the government, who also believed himself to be a god, is not Lord. That's going to make a whole lot of people unhappy. It also meant that Kratos, the local god of power, was not the Lord, not in charge. That Plutus, the god of wealth, not in charge, not Lord. And that Aphrodite, the god of lust and fertility, not in charge. Jesus is Lord to the original church meant that nothing and no one was before Christ. It didn't mean they went around disobeying the government, but it meant that they were for Christ first. You know, deep down, we don't like to think of anyone or anything being over us. But we let a lot of things be in charge of us. We hand that authority over in some really sobering ways. I want to read this quote. Let's bring this into what does this look like in 2023. Unfortunately, in our day, Jesus' Lord does not mean that Kratos, Plutos, and Aphrodite are not. It's common for many Christians to have Jesus as their Lord on Sunday morning, Plutos, wealth, as their Lord at work, Kratos, power, as their Lord at home, and Aphrodite, lust, as their Lord late at night on the internet. And now I've made some people very unhappy. But we will continue. We know that Jesus said he was the kingdom was there, which was him saying, I'm the king, which is really what got him into so much trouble. <laughs> um, he was saying that because he was there, the kingdom was there, and we don't generally think about what that means. He is the Lord and ultimate authority. But I want to assure you that Jesus, once, you know, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, this idea does not stop in scripture. Because we also like, we kind of like to like read our gospels in kind of a one mental context, we like to go read the epistles in another mental context. It helps us not have to look at these things too hard. Sorry, it's not going to work that way. Um, Paul preached the kingdom. We don't think about Paul preaching the kingdom, but he did. Acts 19, Acts 20, 25, Acts 28, 23, Acts 28, 31. These are all 
references to him reasoning with the people about the kingdom. Okay? This idea did not go away once Jesus physically was not present. It is still the case. So, <laughs> what does the kingship of Jesus have to do with idolatry and marriage? <laughs> because that is actually what we thought we were going to talk about today. The answer to that is to go back to the reason that people worship idols in the first place. And I want to assure you that people all over the world really do bring their gifts to idols that represent wealth, power, sexuality, fertility, etc., etc. And I'm going to be bold enough to say that I know very well that people here in Uganda are doing these things. And some of my African friends are like, I can't believe she just said that. <laughs> but why? Why are people doing this? Why are Christians who sit in church on Sunday morning doing this on Tuesday morning? Because don't think they're not. Ultimately, it's because of security. Idolatry is where we have power, status, wealth, lust, fertility, and that is where we are going to seek our security and our safety. Now, you can probably think of lots of reasons why those are not thing, ways that you find your safety and security, especially if you're not going to do other things on Tuesday morning. You're like, well, Bobby, I do not do those things, and so I'm fine. Jesus is the Lord of my life. I'm here to tell you that might not be true. These are a few ways that we find safety in our lives and relationships, because we are going to bring this quite personally home now. Can I have the next slide? Thank you. So money, wealth, power, control, lust. We think of lust only as like in a sexual sense, but lust actually means the desire to have more. The, the wanting of whatever it is. Okay, so let's get that word a little broader in our minds. And here are some ways that we are worshiping and finding our safety and control very specifically. Bottom line, getting married. I will feel secure if I have a spouse. I will find a spouse who earns, and that will help my financial situation. I will be in control of my spouse because then I feel power and that makes me feel safe. I will have children. I will have obedient children. And I'm going to just say right now, there are also some people in this room who can testify to this. This was 100% my idol a decade ago. <laughs> okay. I will have obedient children. I will have children to care for me. I don't necessarily like want children, but I want the security of someone to take care of me, so I'm going to have children. The achievements of my children. I will have the best children, academically, physically, spiritually. Oh, the spiritual growth of our children. My children will be more important to me than my spouse. By the way, we did not go into this very much. I don't think we talked about this at all on this weekend, thanks. Um, if your, if your, your children, having them, their achievements, whatever, their attention, their emotion is more important to you than your spouse, that is an idol and it is also not biblical. 
It's called a child-centered marriage. And it actually raises really rotten children, by the way. Family of origin approval. I will do anything to keep my relatives happy. Professional respect. There are some people in this room who I really, really respect professionally, but if I want that so much, ugh. Education. I had to let this one die a few years ago. Um, Aaron has a master's degree. I have a bachelor's degree and some like other side certifications. And I really wanted a master's degree. I wanted to do that too. You know what? That's not God's plan for my life. He told me. He's like, let it go, honey. We're not doing that. Okay, let it go. A nice car, a nice house, safety. Oh, we are worshipers of safety. Healthcare. I think that one's not as bad here. Like all of my expat friends, ooh, worshiping healthcare in our foreign countries, especially if you're an American, it's pretty disgusting. Physical appearance, that might be my mother's, just to tell on her. And by the way, whatever idol you carry will affect your children. Do not think for one single second that it will not. Traditional practices, again, I know it's happening. And social approval. Did you find yourself there anywhere? I want to take a minute and note whatever you see there that is something you really, really want and that you spend a lot of time thinking about how to get or how to keep. How to get or how to keep. Anything you are more committed to than Jesus. Getting married. I sat with a, a dear Ugandan friend yesterday. We've been friends for a decade. And been through some really crazy stuff together. And I said, how's the situation with the gentleman? And she said, I've let him go because he wasn't for Jesus first. I was so proud of her. How your children serve you. How your children are more important than your spouse. These are things that we become so tight-fisted. That is idolatry. And the issue with each of these is actually that they are a way we are trying to save ourselves. When Jesus is supposed to be our king and savior. Remember in the king, like, what does a kingdom mean? We are trusting ourselves to the king, our property, our land, our possessions, our whatever. Oh, but then I'm not. We want to be saved from discomfort of all kinds, social stigma or judgment, poverty, criticism, failure, grief and loss, ever having to be afraid, feeling weak or overpowered, and being unhealthy in any way. I want to say that again. We want to be saved from discomfort of all kinds, social stigma or judgment, poverty, criticism, failure, grief and loss, ever having to be afraid, feeling weak or overpowered, and being unhealthy in any, any way, just like other cultures. We just do it in civilized ways. In the end, we are still using something other than Jesus to save us and comfort us against the reality of a fallen world. 
Your spouse and children cannot save you. Getting a spouse or a child cannot save you. The achievements of your children cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. And I know you're sitting there thinking, but those things do help me. Sure, but someday you're going to be dead. And they're not going to save you anymore. That's some hard truth. And the root of it is actually in the authority piece. I'm going to go back. We do not trust the king. We do not trust the king. Because we lack kingdom knowledge. We don't remember that he is the king now. He is the authority now. But we do need security. I'm not saying that we don't need security. Good grief, I'm getting old too. Okay? I feel nervous about that. (laughs) But because we don't trust him, we find other ways to save ourselves, and then it doesn't work, and we perpetuate the cycle over and over see where we're doing this in our lives. You guys were really like honest there when I said, do you see yourselves? Like I have given this presentation and people were like, no. So usually I have to go a little harder on it. But here is an interesting clue about where we are having idolatry in our life. The question is, what are we feeding? People bring actual food to idols. They feed what they hope will save them. I asked about if anybody had been to the Jain temple, um, and I said how that had been a super disturbing experience for me. Um, There were literally these little statues, and there were trays of food that these people were like putting there, and they were like washing these statues and like talking to them and all of this. My spirit was like, no. But we do feed our idols too. We do. What do you feed with your time, your money, your attention, your thoughts, your control, your anger? Anger is this tool, weapon that I'm using to keep my things how I want them. Protection, expectations of others. And what do I do when one of those things gets toppled? See, if you went in and actually pushed over one of those physical idols, the people there serving them would go nuts. (laughs) That actually occurred to me after the visit, like, what if I had done something really terrible? Don't, let's not do that. Because the people, they would go crazy. They might actually harm you, truly. And I've heard some stories like that coming out of India. They, are so, they would be so upset because they believe that they would lose their security if something happened to the idol. Okay? So what are you terrified of losing? What will you work beyond reason to protect? And what makes you angry if someone disturbs it? And I think the hardest question is, what are you willing to sin to keep or get? That is adultery. And that is the thing that is Lord instead of Jesus. So what do we do? (laughs) I love this quote by Beth Moore. Oddly, the most freeing thing we can ever do is to abdicate the throne of our miniature kingdoms. Because when we're doing these things, we are keeping our kingdom. And we are not living in God's kingdom. We have to give the throne back over. The Bible tells us that we are at war with the kingdom of darkness. 
Again, we do not understand the scope of that. But we need to remind ourselves daily that this is a battle for lordship. Okay? That battle is for lordship. We cannot expect to win if we are not in the word asking God to show us our idols. If we're not in fellowship with others who are allowed to tell us the truth. A really good way to stay in your own kingdom and your own idolatry and to never have to work it out is to make sure that no one is ever allowed to tell you where you're wrong. And I say that as a person who despises being wrong. But I have Aaron and I love him. (laughs) And we have to humbly keep confessing our idols and that Jesus is Lord. Let's go back again to the day we bow the knee. We think of that as the Jesus is Lord moment. No, 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 no. I have to wake up every single day confessing that Jesus is Lord and looking around my life and saying, where am I not letting him be Lord? It's important to remember that this is wartime mentality and not battle mentality. As long as you are a living, breathing human being, your untrusting flesh will search for idols. Ones that were over and done will resurrect themselves. The enemy knows our tendencies and we would be foolish to think that we can learn about where our idols are and work in them a little bit and that we'll never come back to it. Sorry, you're still a living, breathing human being. The second thing we must do is stop feeding our idols. Okay, you guys were like really fantastic to say, yes, I found myself in that gross list, Bobby. Can you, to your own self right now, think where you're feeding it? That's the thing that has to stop for it to stop being in charge. As long as you feed it, it's going to be a thing. We have to live a commandment-driven life not a feeling-driven life. Because Matthew 15, 19 tells us, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This is gross. And Jesus has to be Lord of it every day. Now, please hear me. Feelings are not wrong. I am married to a counselor. (laughs) I'm a life coach. We do feelings for a living So your feelings are not a moral issue. The the wanting security and safety, that's, that's not wrong, okay? The world is scary, like I said. But we cannot let our feelings be in charge. They, the feelings do not get to be the decision drivers. The word of God is the decision driver, and the feelings then over time learn to get in line. I think that's something I really didn't understand um, in my 20s, or even, yeah, my teens and 20s, and now, like, okay, do the hard work and the feelings will eventually come. We cannot spend time and money feeding our idols and think they will be gone. We must daily choose to stop those little things that make the bigger problem. So once we weed out the ones that we've thought about, how do we like stay in that wartime? How do we keep on the guard? How do I look, get up every day and think about, oh, where am I doing this thing? We have to actually learn to work backwards from our idols to find those roots 
So we ask questions regularly with people we have accountability with. What am I willing to sin to get? Why am I punishing certain people in my life? I know you punish people. Why am I demanding my way about some certain thing? Why am I expecting so much just from this person? What is it about this person that I just, okay? And why do I have this conflict, which is really about what do I really want? Once you have answers to these things, you can then quickly find that root of idolatry. Deal with it swiftly. Okay, today I gave you some just really general ones that lots of people have, but this is like, we're doing this all the time, okay? So this self-examination regularly is very important. We must deal with it swiftly, apologize to the people who've been hurt by our, our, our idolatry, like I said, my mother's deeply affected my life. Admit it as idolatry. Here's the thing, we don't go around saying, I need to confess that I'm having idolatry. But we are. Lots of our sin is about that. It's about not letting Jesus be in charge. We must confess it as that so that Jesus gets to be back in charge. That's terrifying. <laughs> but there's almost nothing stronger than telling the truth. Tell the truth. And that thing breaks a huge hold in your life. When we practice, when we make a practice of confessing our idols, they stop having so much power. And what then? Like, once this becomes a regular practice in our life, what will we actually find to be the case after that? Um, if we stop feeding them and we let people keep us accountable, we will find a shocking amount of freedom and peace because we will actually have to start finding our security in Jesus. And that's hard because we're like, but then I won't have these things out here that I want for security but we'll find actually the security that comes from inside that stays strong regardless of what is happening out here. You will actually have more freedom and more peace, and you will have more gratitude for the gospel and the fact that you do need to wake up and confess every day, and the fact that even though I have to wake up and confess every day, he stays with me. He is so faithful. The word says he is faithful when we are faithless. It's true, <laughs> okay? Interestingly, this is one people are always like, you will probably have more conviction. The more things I see about my own self, the more I see things about my own self. But then that is the opportunity again to be coming back to the truth over and over. And it gets better. I think what was very pleasant and surprising is I've been, I've been working on this uh, topic for some other um, conferences and speaking things now for about six months. And I have found this part to be very true. There is such a growing passion for God and his kingdom when you start working this out. And I, I mean, we've been serving the Lord for 13 years. It wasn't that I wasn't passionate about, but this concept not just of salvation, but of his authority and his worthiness and his beauty, it will take hold of you in an amazing way. And it's so joyful, actually. I want to read this quote by Jerry Bridges. God is worthy of my loving obedience because of who he is, not because of what he does. 
We want the king to give us our way. But we must choose him even if the only thing we ever get is his presence now and eternity with him later. Does God bless our lives? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that can't be the reason I've said yes to him. I have to say yes because he deserves it, because he is the king. And he will be with me, and I will be with him in his heavenly kingdom forever. We're going to take some time for confession today. And I'll ask again. In what area are you willing to sin to get what you want? Someone, I, not from K, I see another friend in the community. I said I was giving this message today, and then the person sent me this link and said, oh my word, you have to read this about what you're talking about. Um, and so I, want, I, I got to add this. It says, remind yourself again that everyone's lives are impermanent and sometimes unpredictable. Security and control are idols, and God won't share his glory. He will knock the idols down on their faces. God promises both peace that passes understanding and that in this world you will have troubles, but I have overcome the world. Uh, My favorite uh, psalm is Psalm uh, 16, verse 2 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I have no good. All good I have comes from him. And when I have no good around me, I still have good because I have him. Apart from him, there is no good. And so he is worthy of being the king. As we finish today, I want to give you a few instructions. Patrick is going to come and just have a little bit of music for us. I would like for you to take time where you are to do whatever work in your heart you need to do with the Lord. If you feel like you do need to confess to someone, we're going to have leadership and um, we're inviting those from the prayer ministry also to come forward. If, If you need to say the thing, this is the idolatry in my life and I've got to get this out, you have the opportunity to do that. When you finish today, if you would take your um, tea and cake and just go out, we want to leave people as long as possible to be with the Lord and to have prayer and, and maybe some privacy for confession if we need that. Okay? So I'm asking everybody to go out quietly. Um, and then we will be dismissed whenever people are finished. So I will pray over you for the day. Okay? Father, um, Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for sending the king who is the authority and reigns and will reign regardless of the state of the world, regardless of how many knees do or do not bow. The simple fact is he is the king. And Lord, um, we confess that he's the king of our lives, of our finance and our job and our relationships and our ministries and our children and our spouses, that we are not the authority over our spouses. You are the authority over our spouses. We confess, Lord, that you you are enough. And when we are wanting more, it it is our flesh craving, and we need to be deeply, joyfully 
with you daily so that we can be satisfied and not searching for other things. God, I pray for all of us here today that we would take time to examine our hearts, that we would be boldened by your Holy Spirit to confess what needs to be confessed. I pray that this would be a safe place for confession today and all the days of this church. And we pray, Lord, that as we go this week, we would find a renewed peace in the fact that you are in charge and we do not need to be searching for other ways. And we pray these things in the very, very, very beautiful, powerful name of the King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.